Hi, I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic to entertain myself, learn something, and chat with my friends. Today, my guest is Karen Rolfe, and we have known of each other for a long time, um, but we, ha we hadn't met until, was it just last year? Was I think so. It, oh, was it only last year? It feels like lifetimes ago, but we'll talk about that when we get to that later. <laughs> that was a really interesting evening. Um, but anyway, so Karen's joining me today, and uh, I'll let her introduce herself if you're not familiar with her. Um, take it away, Karen. Yeah, hi. Well, thank you for asking me to be on here. I just, I love, you know, meeting and getting to talk to people um, from all different parts of the horse world. So I'm excited to be here. And um, yeah, I, what I do is called dressage naturally. And it's really about empowering students to create stronger partnerships with their horse and healthy biomechanics. And I do that by combining my experience with dressage um, with um, the principles of natural horsemanship that I've also immersed in. So it's really about um, loving your horse and enjoying the process of learning how to move and be in harmony with your horse. So, so Karen, uh, um, I don't know much about your background. So, were you loving horses as a kid, or how? You know, <laughs> oh yeah, where did I think start? <laughs> the joke in my family was my first words were "I want a horse," and then came mom and dad after that. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, totally horse crazy kid. Um, I was lucky that my mom had had a horse, just a backyard horse when she was a kid. So she was really open and she actually had a horse when I was like in first grade for a couple years. Um, but, you know, I did summer camps and stuff like that. And, and then when I was in sixth grade, I got a little funny little horse <laughs> and did pony club with him and then just kept... I actually got into dressage because I took the, my, my funny little horse, Chessie, uh, our pony club did a fox hunt and, uh, and my horse took off with me through the hounds past everybody. Oh, oh. yeah. I did. Everybody I broke all the rules. Looking down at the hounds going, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Anyway, the huntsman rescued me and brought him, brought me up to my mom and said, take this kid for dressage lessons so she can learn how to control her horse. So she did. Wow. And, so where uh, were you living at the time? Were you in Florida? No, I was uh, a Long Island. I grew up in New York. So oh. Long Island, yeah. Well, was I was town. across the pond. I was in Stanford, Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We used to go up to Connecticut all the time for pony club, pony club rallies and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, yeah, in fact, I, I taught at Wilton Pony Club for uh, quite a number of years. Okay. Um, and yeah. yes, we would go over to Long Island. So, but that was probably, that wasn't when you were in Pony Club. That's, <laughs> I was in a different era. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love the Pony Club. Well, I didn't realize you're from, from Long Island. Yeah. No, I, I was born in Kansas, but grew up on Long Island since I was four and didn't come to Florida till 2003. So, Oh, okay. I'm still a New Yorker at heart, I think. Well, that's the accent, you know, and it's like, uh, New York from Florida. Oh, I can do the Long Island accent. <laughs> we'll go have a coffee and do our nails and talk about it. But luckily, my parents are both from California, so I didn't quite get the full New York okay. <laughs> accent. Yeah. No, I, I can remember actually going over and teaching on Long Island. It was kind of like the Twilight Zone in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, uh, I came to Florida for two months and never went home. <laughs> never yeah. went back. I was like, it's warm here in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's saying, you know, once a New Yorker, always a New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. It shows up. Um, where does it show up? Because my husband is a 
Floridian. He grew up in Georgia. He's born in Florida. And where, where my New Yorker shows up is uh, at, in checkout lines. I'm like, it's about the transaction. Don't talk to me. Just here's the thing. I give you the money and we move along. I so get that. <laughs> I like, so and he's, you know, he talks to people and I'm like, you know, when I first That's moved to uh, Kentucky and you went to check out and it was like a half an hour later while you're standing there and sugar and babe and honey and ma'am. And I was like, uh, I'm not I sure where I am. I'm like, yeah. yeah, I get it. That's why I like the, uh, the self checkouts. So I don't, <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> All right. So you did pony club and you lived on Long Island and then you started dressage lessons on Long Island. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, my I outgrew my first horse, and then I got a different horse that to do pony club with. Um, he actually did not pass the pre-purchase exam for dressage, and I said, "Well, who wants to do dressage anyway?" You know. <laughs> so he was an off-the-track thoroughbred with the old bowed tendon, and he was doing local hunters, and um, so I did him, and then um. I was taking lessons at Knoll Farm on Long Island with some other instructors. And then one of my, the instructor I was taking with um, got pregnant. And then I got passed along to the owner of Knoll Farm, who happens to be Ann Gribbins. Who, oh, wow. Yeah, it was like one of, <laughs> now a top judge in the world. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, I'll take the skinny kid. Right. So I'm like, okay. So I just came in for lessons with her. And, um, Every year, she'd say, okay, it's time to move up the level. Now, your horse might not be able to do it. That's okay. We're just going to start. I'm like, okay. And uh, he ended up going all the way and um, represented the United States on the Young Riders team four years in a row. And, like, who knew? That was, you And know, that was my, your thoroughbred, the one that- That was my thoroughbred. Brave Tom went from, you know, I got him at seven. Neither one of us had ever really, we had never shown before in dressage. And uh, he, he ended up. He learned everything except passage, actually. He was a really good at Piaf, but he couldn't figure out passage. And the, the day he started pacing, we said, okay, <laughs> it's not worth it. Um, but yeah, but he's the one that really made my career. Um, I did not intend to be a professional horsewoman. I was at university. I was going to be a medical illustrator. Oh. You know, but people kept paying me to ride their horses. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that's so cool that you took a horse. And, you know, um, who was it that used to talk about, um, who was the woman that used to have um, the summer camps and Sally and everybody would go to this, um, oh, rats, names are escaping me right now. Yeah, I'm really you bad. Know, you know who I mean. She would have, like, it was like a dressage camp up in right. Michigan or something. Um, uh, it's not Vi Hopkins. Um, is it Vi Hopkins? It was, but you know, they talked about how any horse could progress. That's what I'm trying to get to is that any with solid training, every horse has the capacity to improve and you just, you know, rather than allowing someone to limit what your capabilities are, whether it's a horse or a person, mm -hmm. you just have to go through the process and see what happens and then address what issues come up to see if they are resolvable. And, mm -hmm. and I think so many people, um, sort of, you know, the white coat syndrome in the horse world, where they're told your horse is not capable and you need this other horse. And pretty soon they're, they're spending a lot of money on horses that, um, you know, it wasn't really the horse, it was the instruction. Yeah, I have a couple blogs that I wrote on this. One is called the Hero Six, which is mean like a horse that moves for a six. 
but you know, it's a hero six that the or, you know, ordinary horses don't know they're ordinary. Right. And so it kind of tells that story of my, of my time with my thoroughbred. And then I wrote another blog called fancy horse, fancy trainer, still unhappy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's all about that. So I think, I think because of my experience with Tom, um, you know, for me, the interest is taking whoever you are, you're here, you want to go there, let's just start moving that direction and be the best that we can be. And, and so, you know, even though I've done a lot of competing, I, I sort of waned from competing because I found at the end of the day, it wasn't whether I was better than anybody else that mattered. It was how I felt like my horse and I did. And sometimes you could win a class, but you know, you didn't really do very well. And sometimes the opposite would happen. You do great. And you know, that horse, no matter how great he does is going to not score higher than another horse. And it sort of become really unsatisfying. So I really love taking any horse, any rider, where are you, where do you want to go? And what's the next step in that direction? And that's what just, you know, fascinates me. Um, yeah, no, for sure. I totally agree, agree with you. And, you know, I mean, I, I had a, he was a family friend and his daughter got into hunters and, you know, the trainer sold the, the my horse and, you know, it, that didn't work out. And then they sold, and I just, I kept trying to let them know it wasn't where I, I couldn't step in because I wasn't asked to be the, you know, I wasn't mm -hmm. in the position to be the trainer or the instructor, but, you know, just advising the father. And I just watched this train wreck happening and you know there's it was so hard to sit back because you knew where it was going to end up mm -hmm. and and that's exactly where it ended up and yeah. and yet that's so unfortunate it's unfortunate actually i think in our industry because it gives it such a bad rap it's unfortunate mm -hmm. for the horse because he's now labeled and it's unfortunate for the kid because she can't do what you know she just wanted to have a good time right um, you know it's when the it's when it's kind of like what's the goal and I think so many times the the sort of assumption is the goal is some sort of accomplishment. You know, you compete or you move up to this level or whatever it is. And and for me, it's like, why did I get in horses in the first place? And that's the question I ask people, like, what, you know, what's your dream? What described to me your your dream day with your horse? And for me personally, it's the connection. It's that feeling of I am with this horse and somehow we figured out how to do something together, which to me is actually absolutely unbelievable that it happens at all. So for me, it's the connection and the communication. And I think for a lot of people, it is, right. but they get into this world where it's about, you know, achieving or competing, you know, and, and then the, you know, they, they take their attention away from the connection. The horse now needs to perform or live up to its price right. tag or things like that. And really the horse just like wants to be happy. And I think people really crave the connection. And, um, and that's what I really enjoy. I enjoy working with people and horses who want to be together. And I think that's the majority of people. Honestly. I do too. You know, I mean, the majority of my clientele is a middle-aged woman who just wants to have a good time with her horse and doesn't have any grand expectations of, you know, taking over the world. Um, they just really want to have a good time and be safe. And that's the other yeah. piece. They just, they want to be safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a, a lot of trainers, you know, not all, but they're in the world I came from, which was, you know, a competitive dressage facility world. Um, a lot of times you know, not every owner wants to be the owner of a fancy horse that goes to compete. Some owners really want to just ride their own horse and that's okay. Cause I think a lot of times trainers 
um, recommend horses that are really not for the rider or the owner. Right. It's it's for them. <laughs> so right. you have to you have to be really you know careful. Clear. But yeah, yeah, clear about your goals. And but I, I get students coming to me a lot that are like, well, I don't really want to show. I'm almost apologizing. I'm like, yeah, I know. I, I like the same. Thing. I don't either. Okay, <laughs> doesn't mean you're not gonna hold your. You know, you can still go. Like and Grand Prix so in your things. backyard is really fun too. Yeah, exactly. Know? So many things you can do with your horse. And you know, yeah. we we. I don't know if you uh, had been paying attention, but the, over the past year there was some some suicides in the dressage world. I mean, the pressure got I so. Read those crazy. articles. Yeah, and it's such. I mean, it's so heartbreaking that they felt so much pressure that they took their life. I mean, and, you know, even as a sport, it shouldn't be so overwhelming that that becomes the outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think that by resetting this whole idea of, wait a second, why are we doing this? What are we doing this for? Who are we doing this for? And what is it that we really want to do? We have to sit down and actually ask those questions, you know? Absolutely. 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 And that's, you know, that's one of the questions I love to ask people all the time. Why did you get into horses in the first place and let them like swim in that feeling. And like from that feeling, now we can start to do stuff. Yeah. You know, because it'll drive the technique, right? It'll it'll drive your choices that you make with your horse. But you know what I find fascinating at a lot of my clinics, I would ask my students, what do you do well? And Mm. they go, hmm. You know, and that whole, um, they'd look down, they'd pick, you know, what do you do badly? Oh, I can't sit the trot. I can't canter. I don't get the lead. And it was like a litany. And I think that this is, um, has to do with where the roots of riding come from, from the military. Mm -hmm. But we, we need to start really thinking about how we're teaching people. Um, And, you know, like I remember taking a tennis lesson and I hit a good shot and the guy said, stop. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, feel that, feel, what are you talking about? And I was floored because it was so different. And it was, it was like, yeah, just replay it on your mind for a minute. And it, mm. and it made me so conscious that we, we focus on what the horse isn't doing. We focus on how the rider isn't capable instead of really looking at what are you doing? Well, let's build on what you do well. I love that. Yeah. What can you do is something that I'll say. And also I love that you brought up, um, you know, awareness of what you're doing wrong. So many people get frozen by, am I doing this right? Mm. And when I, when I teach, I ask my students a lot of questions. Like, how's that feel? Is he matching your energy? Like what, you know, I ask them a lot and, and it's, it's really interesting because I have them answer me out loud and you can, you know, is your horse matching your energy right now? And they're like, um, it, w- it was a little better. I'm like, no, right now. Yeah. Yes. You know, and to, to help, and that's the empowering part of what I said, you know, trying to empower students to trust their instincts. They know what they're feeling. They might not understand it, but right. they know what they're feeling. And the horse really needs them in the moment to be responding to exactly what's going on between them and the horse. And then once they get that, then I can come in and say, okay, maybe you should ask for a little faster tempo or slower tempo. But if they're wrestling with their horse and they're not, you know, they're not um, free enough to go, hey, this isn't working or, ooh, that feels great, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I really want, I really help students um, experiment more and, and play with stuff and find out what doesn't work. Great. Now, Absolutely. now that, now you have a lot of information and, and it's, it's, nobody is 
the same as you on your horse in that moment. Right. And I think so many times trainers, you know, you hear trainers say good. And the riders, you can say, see, they're like wrestling with their horse and like the good. And they're yeah. like, okay. Like, good? And then they have to go ice their hands. I've had students that are like, yeah, on my other lessons, I had to ice my hands after the ride. I'm like, did you mention your horse is leaning? They're like, yeah, they just told me go to the gym, you know? So I, that to me is like, I try to look for those disharmonies and then we go, okay, well, what's not, you know, what's going on there? How can we make that better? And um, so, yeah. so just to go back, so you were in the dressage world and you were yeah. very successful and you were starting successful to train, enough. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Um, and so, you know, typically when people are successful in a particular discipline, they stick with it. So something <laughs> must have happened. <laughs> yeah, no, that's where my, my story is a little bit different than, than other, say, dressage riders who then found natural horsemanship or any other professional, um, yeah, I didn't think there was any problems with anything I was <laughs> doing. Typical dressage trainer mentality, right? Um, but I was, um, I was willed a horse. The owner sadly died, and she was um, a pretty timid rider, so he was a very safe horse. Now, he was pre-St. George. Um, he was pretty much as close to an inanimate object as you could get, though. So he came with double bridle, draw reins, ride him with two whips, and big spurs. And, um, so then all of a sudden he was my horse and nobody, none of the other trainers wanted to deal with this horse. And you know, you'd go and shake a bag of carrots and he'd just turn away from you. He was like, wow. shut up. Out. So, um, I, you know, I started doing my thing with him. I've always been a fan of the underdog anyway, in the special case. Um, but he started to have, um, and we got to Grand Prix, but he started to have some soundness problems. And so here I was at this dressage facility and almost no turnout with a horse with soundness problems starting to retire. I'm like, what am I going to do? He's got to do something fun. So I saw a video somewhere of like a horse following its person and then getting on a pedestal. So I'm like, oh, that looks like fun. So I saw this clinic. I heard that the guy's name was Pirelli and I saw a clinic. It was supposed to be a Pirelli clinic, but it was taught by somebody else with a different name, <laughs> David Lichman. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. I knew nothing. And I just wanted to do silly, fun stuff just to kind of occupy this horse's time to give him something cute and fun to do. That was it. So I went to that clinic and in that clinic, in the very first moment of the very first session, I learned something that I had not seen in this horse that I didn't recognize because he was really bomb proof, you know, that kind of horse. And they did this exercise, which now, you know, friendly game for people to know Pirelli, but it's, it's like a desensitization, you know, so I take my stick and I wave it around. And what I didn't realize is this horse was freaking out, but the way he freaked out was to go inside and just take these little zombie steps, yeah. but he wouldn't. And, and I just thought he's just walking, you know? And I, and when I, saw that it was, oh my gosh, that's his, that's fear, that's defensiveness, that's, and so the biggest breakthrough I made with that horse was on that, like really showing him trust and relaxation and this is okay, the stick is not going to hit you. And that conversation alone was the beginning of seeing his defenses come down, the lights come on. And I just remember this day, you know, so I practiced natural horsemanship, you know, did my diligence and I used to ride him at the end of the day 
uh, at this facility. So I'm in the middle of this like 40 stall barn and I'd close the doors at the end of the day and he'd stand there like an object. And uh, this one day there was like the blanket bar with, you know, splint boots and things resting on it. And I saw him like be so bold as to like touch one of them with his nose. And then he like, and he flinched. And I was like, I don't smack him for that. But I, I saw him flinch and I thought, just with everything I've been learning in natural horsemanship, I was just, I was just looking at him differently. And, and I, I said, you can do that. And I, I pushed it with my hand and he looked at me like for reals and he like <laughs> pushed it again and it fell on the ground and you could see him do this. And I went, that's awesome. Good boy. And then I threw the other splint boot on the ground and he was like, really? And so I like undid his halter and, and it became our, little tradition that nobody else knew about until now. Um, I'd let him go up and down the aisle and he'd like rip all the blankets and towels off and the whole thing would be a mess. I'd be like, yay. But it was the first time I saw him like light up. Like I have an idea. Can I do this? And I went, yes. So it was, it was reminding me of how I was with my first horse where you do all the dumb, silly kid stuff and you break all the rules, but you have fun together. And so after all this time being a professional, I finally had my own horse again that I could break the rules with. And that, that made such a breakthrough in him that um, I, th- I was able to ride him for like probably two more years after the vets had said, you probably should just completely retire because he just opened up. His mind was open. Everything was effortless. Everything was lighter. And so I just, I learned so much on him and I, I learned that the, you know, technique matters, but the stuff that really helped my thoroughbred go from pony club to the upper levels was that I was still a kid when I had him, and I still did stupid kid stuff with him. Mm-hmm. And then when I became professional, I realized I had stopped doing all that. And this horse Vivaldi, um, he reminded me in a big way. He's like, technique matters, but this stuff matters. You know, it's, it's such an interesting story because I've had so many guests on that have talked about vagal nerve and freeze and basically a horse that's learned helplessness, which exactly. is exactly was learning helplessness. And, and, but the good news is, and that's what I, that I take from your story is that even though it's an older horse, who has been in this box for so many years that there was a little tiny opening and you allowed him to go through that opening and boom, you had a different horse. Um, yeah it's these it's and this is why the connection of the person with the horse we have to remember this is what we're doing it for this is a life this is his life and i happen to be there and see this really small thing where he kind of went can i do this and i saw it and i went yeah you can and like that was it but like how easy is it to not see it or a horse that does that and you go get away from there. That's expensive. You know, that's somebody else's stuff. Don't touch that. (laughs) You know, and it just, they just shrink again. So I, yeah, I feel really fortunate. And I mean, that horse ended up, you know, he ended up retired on my place in Florida and he lived a long, happy life where he was, we called him the mayor. He just rolled loose on my property (laughs) and got to do anything he wanted. Um, And so, you know, when you look at that and you go, this is their life, you know, how can I make this horse's life happier? And, And I think those connections with us um, are, are important that we see them. We really right. see them and we want them to be happy horses. And then let, let's see what we can do together. 
you know. And you know, one of the things that you did there was you observed something consciously. And so often we see something, but we don't actually observe it, right? Yeah. And so that ability to observe, and I don't know, have you, are you familiar with Sharon Wilsey at all, Horse Speak? Have you come across Sharon? No. Oh, oh that's okay. I'm familiar, gonna, but no, I haven't looked. Really have look into her stuff because Sharon is like the ultimate detail observer. Um, she's incredible. The subtle, subtle things that she picks up and she's been able to encode it and decode it so that other wow. people can learn horse language. It's really, really that's amazing. That's cool. I'll but check it, it out. Yeah, because it comes down to, and it's the same with Surefoot. If you don't see what's going on, if you don't observe what's going on, there isn't the opportunity for change. Mm -hmm. but, you know, I, I, I'm working on another book and, you know, the example is you walk around with your keys in your hand and you can't start your car till you know you have them, right? <laughs> like yeah. the, the stuff is in front of us. It's here around us all the and time. How many times have you, have you looked for your keys while you're holding them in your yes, hand? that's what I mean. Yeah. It's, <laughs> like, it's like, okay, you know, and I won't talk about the number of times my husband's locked my keys in my car, but that's another story. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, we have the keys and that's the piece. And, um, you know, the thing is, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be involved. It doesn't have to be, you know, the everything and know everything. It, you just have to really be present. And I think that's yes. what you're describing with your students when they can say what they feel now. And we're, right. we're so busy being in the past or the future, so busy with what happened before and what we might do. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with Lucinda Baker. I also had her on as a guest and she was saying how we can think like a hundred thoughts in a, in 30 seconds or something. And the horse can think one. Yeah. Right? That's so something I ask my students all the time. I was like, in this moment, if you're, if you, if your horse can suddenly understand English, what's the one sentence right yeah. now? What's the one sentence he needs to know? Or the other thing I do is, you know, if you're working on something and, you know, an exercise and you go, okay, when we're done, we have to find the moment so that when we put him back, and his pastor buddy comes up and goes, hey, Fred, what'd you do? <laughs> What's your horse going to tell him? Yeah. Well, I went in circles for about 45 minutes and then it stopped, you know, yeah. or is it like, oh, when she does this thing, if you do this thing, you get cookies. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, yeah, I love that what you're saying is like simplify it right. in any moment. What's the one sentence? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Okay, so so you started with this horse, and you realized there was other options, and you started exploring yeah. more, I assume. Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, a, what's the quote? A little information is more dangerous than none, right? So I'm like, uh-oh. You know, I just realized there's all this other information that I had no idea about, and now I need to learn more. So, um, so then I thought, Okay, you know, so I was still going with that horse and he eventually did retire, but I thought I need another horse to practice this on, you know, and in the middle of this dressage facility still. So I found out about a um, crazy lipazon uh, that was being given away. He was 11, very practiced in his art of <laughs> being a challenge. Um, and so, and actually he had been in training with me when he was six and oh, wow. he was really very quite unique uh, child there. But um, then he had gone off to have lots of unsuccessful things and was just hanging out in the backyard somewhere. So I thought, this is great. He's already kind of messed up. So I can experiment with all this crazy natural horsemanship stuff. So I got him. That's my horse, Monty. Um, I, many, anybody who's looked on my website, there's lots of pictures of Monty out there. But um, yeah, so he, I, I got him and I just like, all right, I'm going to start that natural horsemanship stuff at the beginning and just do everything they say. 
And um, yeah, he taught me a lot. He was, he became the first horse in 13 years to dump me and wow. double barrel kick me. And, you know, so yeah, he was a challenge. Um, but man, the connection I ended up having with him was unbelievably special. I mean, he could do bridalists, he could do upper level dressage. His Liberty was amazing. So he was the one that I really rolled up my sleeves and experimented with. And, you know, I'm riding around bareback and bridalists in the middle of this dressage facility in a barn with group lessons going on. And I'm like, I'd go down the long side and people would just like, ah, and they'd like <laughs> scatter. I'm like, no, just stay your course. I can steer. I promise. <laughs> I think I terrified lots of people. Yeah, I'm um, sure you did. Yeah. So, you know, so I had him and then I had been, starting to, I had a student who had moved to Florida and she had been begging me to come um, spend a winter in Florida. And, you know, after working outside in New York for decades, uh, I finally was like, all right, I'm doing it. And I came with, um, with Monty and then two other students, horses in training. And um, I actually, there, no, I had like four horses in training that came with me. And, uh, and I just, I didn't even know it, but I happened to land in a barn that was like seven miles from Patland to Pirelli. Oh, wow. So Ocala is <laughs> really by accident. So then the, the guy, David Lichman, who had taught my first clinic, um, he was like, you gotta go take, you know, spend time with Patland. I'm like, I don't have time for this. I, I got four horses in training. I'm doing all the work myself. He's like, no, 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 you really have to. So, um, he dragged me there and uh and the just one thing led to another they Pat and Linda were very very generous they were very intrigued by this strange dressage trainer who you know was doing their stuff and you know i was really doing it like i started at level 1 and i just went through the levels and i was doing my assessments so um they really they invited me to um study with them in florida and then follow them to colorado and then follow them back to florida and, that's where, you know, after I was supposed to come home to New York after two months and after six weeks, I called my, I'd been there for decades, called them up and said, I'm, I'm not coming home. And uh, some of the big, fancy, beautiful horses I had in training got on trailers and went back to New York. Uh, but then two other students sent their horses with me um, to Colorado. And, uh, and that was just amazing because I just got to immerse. I just left the dressage facility immersed and my Pat kept me working cows like six hours a day. He, he wouldn't let me do practice dressage. Every time he saw me like getting ready to ride, he like, Karen, come on, help me with the cows. I'm like, jeez. But, you know, it really, it, it broke a lot of my habits. It caused me to stop and look at everything, everything I was doing from the beginning. So after a year of this, then I, you know, I got, I bought my own place and I'm sitting at my own place. I'm going, okay, now I can do whatever I want. And I'm like, well, I got to figure out how this, how to reconcile this. Cause I have my dressage training that a lot of experience in. Now I had a pretty good amount of experience in the natural horsemanship and I, I'm very logic. I like things to make sense. So I had to sit myself down and go, how do I decide what to do with each horse in each moment that, that makes sense with dressage goals and natural horsemanship principles. And I, in writing that out, turned into my book. And that's how my book was created, because I really wrote it for myself. I was like, if I'm going to be teaching this stuff, I got to know what I'm doing. And that's where I mapped out the system. And, um, and uh, yeah, so that's... Yeah, because it, it, it's 
there are some very different things so in ways some conflicting things and there's got to be a middle path there mm -hmm. um and that and I, it sounds like kind of two very kind of immersed into very extremes yeah and then you have to figure out what's going to work because um, from my experience, there's some things in, in the one world that really are hard to translate in, and there's some things from the other world that are very hard, and some things you have to throw out from both worlds and come up with a new idea. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I really, I, what I, what I thought of is there's, there's three things, mental, emotional, physical. And in the dressage world, I had a lot of expertise in physical development of the horse and some mental, emotional. And in the, in the natural horsemanship world, there was a lot more mental, emotional information and not as much physical, but that was okay because I could add that in. Right. Um, and then there's, so there was that. So I really felt like all those categories were filled now, you know, between those two worlds. And then I thought, all right, there's foundation, there's biomechanics, and there's gymnastics. So there's, those are those three, the three categories. So I start my horses very natural horsemanship. If you saw me starting a horse, you did rope halter and I'm getting on bareback with one lead and you know, all my horses start like that. And then at some point when they're happy little campers, now I start addressing their biomechanics. And, and then when that's going well, then we do gymnastics with them. But the, the biomechanics piece is I think where dressage naturally is really unique because it's not just here's the frame you need to be in. This is the correct bend. This is what you must do. Half halt, half halt, half halt. It's about this crazy idea, Wendy, that balanced, free movement should feel good to the horse. Mm -hmm. So this is where I go, okay, well, if it's supposed to be for the horse and it should feel good, then I need to check with my horse and ask him how he feels. So it's a lot based on um, exploring some possibilities, having really excellent communication, because I think a lot of contortion is based in um, you ask the horse to do something, it didn't really happen, and now you're stuck in some weird contortion. So getting really good communication and then saying, all right, now that we have those pieces, let's play with them. And horse, you tell me where you can move the most easily. Where do I need to sit? What speed? What energy level? What alignment? Like you tell me. And well, I think this is where Surefoot fits in really nicely yeah. in that world because the horses reorganize themselves and find their own balance and freedom yeah. of movement, you know? Um, and that's uh, the thing that has fascinated me so much with Surefoot is exactly that, that you, you know, literally, I was just working on a story where the horse was 19 years old and looked absolutely crippled in, in the end of half an hour he was doing extended trots up and down the hill yeah. you know it's finding that thing that unlocks that pattern in the horses because they're exactly. not born with restrictive patterns they're you know right they're and, that's, and that's why I like using the surefoot because it does connect because I think it's it's like hey horse learn about your body right I'm listening to you you can experiment and it's that, that to get away from the purely controlling methods and it's honoring that you want them to like tell you what they're feeling and feel what they're feeling and experiment with, the th with what they're feeling um, that I find fascinating. And it's, um, and even though I have experience and I can look at a horse and probably guess what gymnastic maneuvers I need to do, but I, I on purpose will throw that out the window in a certain stage and I go, well, let me test that theory. How about I move you here, here, here? How's it feel now? How's it feel now? And when they find that place, 
Like, you know, like it's effortless. It doesn't take AIDS. It shouldn't take AIDS for the horse to be in a balance free movement. It'll take AIDS to make some suggestions to have them experiment maybe, but then, you know, a a balanced building doesn't need supports. The leaning tower needs cables to hold it up. But so we're trying to find this place where the horse goes, Ooh, right there. Now I can move and I'm free. Um, So that, I think that stage is trying to recognize that ease. The human and the horse nervous system is absolutely designed to recognize ease. ease. Mm -hmm. We have to have the opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Horses will seek, bodies will seek harmony if given the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you've never known, uh, you know, what it's like, say, to, um, you know, go out to the country and and walk around in fresh air, then you think that living in the city is what all there is. I mean, there's a lot of horses and a lot of people um, that have been told that they have to be in this box with their horse. And they think that that's the right box and they don't realize that actually that's just a little tiny pit of a much bigger box. It's yeah. a lot more opportunity, you know. It's fascinating to watch how people judge their experience from a very narrow perspective. And what um, you and I both know is that it's the breadth of experience that allows us to be able to look at a horse and choose different options mm-hmm. for that individual because we have this breadth of experience. But it's yeah, you know, for owners that only have one horse that have been told that this is the way it's supposed to be, you know, some of them don't even know there's an opportunity. No. Yeah. Nor what is the quote normal changes every 50 miles or something like, that. you know? Yeah. yeah. It's just what's normal for one, you know, one barn or one discipline is, you know, there's so many other choices and I think it's really, you know, fun and inspiring to see, see that there are more choices. It's not just, why did you, why do you have that piece of equipment on? Cause it came with the bridle. Yeah. You know, <laughs> is that really a good reason? <laughs> well, it, and unfortunately it's a reason for a lot of people because again, mm. they were told by a trainer, this is what you have to use. Um, you know, probably one of my most unhappy stories was when I was doing the Tellington work, um, the teamwork. And I went to see a horse at a very fancy barn in Bedford, New York, and the horse was very unhappy being saddled. And so I, you know, did some, did some team on the horse and looked at the horse and I asked the owner to saddle the horse for me. And she brought out the flat pad, the fleecy pad and the gel pad after I'd looked at the saddle, which actually didn't fit too bad. But by the time she put all these pads on, it was just way up on the withers and gripping like crazy. And so I said to her, you know, well, you don't really need this gel pad. And she said, oh no, my trainer told me I have to have it. And it was so sad because you realized that she was stuck in the belief that her trainer knew best, even though her own eyes and her horse told her differently. And it's, you know, that, that's really, uh, you know, I've never forgotten that horse and that situation because you just realize that we, if we let someone else tell us what we are supposed to feel, Mm -hmm. then we lose so much choice and so much ability to do right by our horses. Yeah. You know? Um, And so I think that that's one of the things that's so important is that not only to give the horse choice, but to give us choice and to experiment, like you say, I tell my students all the time to experiment and then I tell them to go back to the old place. They think I'm crazy, (laughs) you know, but you have to have the experience Mm -hmm. so that you can pick. Yeah. And I mean, as a trainer, you know, teaching all over the world, some students will show up at clinics with really interesting 
you know, equipments or ways. And I, I've learned to just stop and watch for a minute mm -hmm. because sometimes it looks weird to me, but it works or the horse loves it. And so I'll, but I'll ask questions like, what's this for? Why are you using, you know, so I understand. Um, I had a student come, I did a dressage, like the USDF um, adult dressage camp. Um, and this one woman was just wrestling with her horse and it was really heavy and just kind of locked in the jaw. And, you know, the noseband was really tight. And I said, you know, so we talked about the contact and, you know, why you would want a horse to move its mouth. And I, so I said, can I, can I just loosen the noseband? And she burst into tears. And I just looked at her and I said, what's that about? And she's like, I always knew that I shouldn't tighten the noseband, but you know, I, I know it's just my riding, but then, you know, the trainer always comes over and tightens the noseband and it just never feels right. And I just looked at her and I said, how about I take the whole noseband off? And she just started sobbing and she's like, yes, I'm going to put it on the fence over here. And it was like that heartfelt realization that, yeah, she had, she needed to learn to ride. So it wasn't ideal. And the horse was having these defensive things in its mouth. And then she knew the horse was being punished for it. And, um, and just on, again, honoring that permission that like she knew and so we took it off the horse's mouth moved. We got her, you know, riding from her seat more. We did some other things on a loose rein and like everybody was instantly happy. And like, that's why she got into horses. She yeah. loved massage, right. but not at the expense of the partnership with her horse. And right. so if you have the partnership with your horse, you can do anything you want, but you've got to start there and not skip that step or be in a circumstance where that's, um, and, you know, that's and I just have to way. say in defense of these, these people, you know, they go and put their trust in a trainer. Yeah. Oh, it's hard. I, I get it. It's, yeah, no, I totally you, know, get it. you try to do what they what think is doing right by them. Exactly. And you don't want to be a student that, yeah, butts everything. Right. So it's tricky. Yeah. So, you know, you want to, but you want to do your research. You want to know your goals. Why are you into horses in the first place? Go observe. Are all the students crying in the barn after their lessons? You know, watch it and see what it feels like. And I think what you said, Wendy, it's like, it's, there's more options. If it doesn't feel right, there's more options. And even if locally you don't have a trainer, you know, that's why I've got online courses because you can get help. You can pick the person that you trust because yes, in a, in a lesson, you need to trust your instructor. You also need to know you can ask questions. So right. I, I, I take lessons and I know at any time I can go, hang on a second. Can I, can I just ask about this? Or, and sometimes they'll say sure. And sometimes they'll say, yep, just trust me a second. Hang in there. You're, you're like one long side away from breakthrough. I'm like, okay. You know, but, um, I don't know about you, but I've had a few times when the instructor basically you know, took me to task because they didn't like my question. Um, but that told me everything about that teacher. It told yeah. Me didn't, you know, yeah. And so that's important. Be willing to ask the question. If the instructor slaps you down, maybe this is not the person. Yeah. You want to learn from. yeah. And there's times that, you know, I'll have students who get in a little pattern, maybe if they ask questions and they're avoiding something. And then what I do is I go, all right, I think we need to go through this. Do I have permission to micromanage you now? And so that's, and then they'll go, okay. And they're like, all right, now you're mine. Like you're mine. I'm going to go through this, but they always know they can go, hang on a second. I need to catch my breath or, hang on a second, that doesn't feel right, you know? So I yeah. think well, that's, I think it's the trust. Intention. intention is so, we can all read intention. Um, and the intention that you're there to help the person, the intention that I'm there to help the person, or the intention that you really are there to just, you know, dismiss them. 
And yeah. we're all able to read that. And so are horses. And horses will tolerate a lot of mistakes mm -hmm. when they recognize the intention is good. You Absolutely. Know? I mean, how many times have we had to go and apologize to our horses for something? <laughs> I have a long list. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, I'm sorry again. Good. And so they read that. They read that you're, you're not purposefully trying to make their life miserable. It was just the circumstances were what they were, and you have to get through it sometimes. And some people call that resilience in the horses. And I think it's a really good term, resilience in the person and resilience in the horse, because we trust ourselves enough and we trust our relationship enough that if there is something that causes, you know, a, a, a strife or isn't quite perfect, there's enough resiliency that we can come back because the nervous system has recognized that. Yeah. Um, and you know what, so many of these things, it doesn't matter if you're a horse or a person, they really apply because we are all mammals. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have students who get really concerned. They're like, how do I know I'm doing the right thing for my horse? And I say, because you just asked that question. Yeah. Because there's, there's some people who don't ever ask that question. Yeah. You know, they paid some money for a horse and now it has to earn it. And that, I mean, there's, you know, so I just whenever, you know, anybody's out there going, I just, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I just want to do the best thing. How do I know? I was like, you're already most right. of the way there just by asking the question. Yep. And you're, you know, better off instead of getting paralyzed by that question, take an action, but take mm -hmm. a step that's a manageable step. Yeah. Right. So that you, you take an action because sometimes inaction is paralysis you're in that same sort of freezy place that the horse is on. right so take a small action one that yeah. you can step back from but yeah karen so i i just want to talk about a bit because you i have to thank you because you're the reason that i have joe watman in my life um <laughs> you did you did um something and you talked about surefoot i think it was in relation to if your horse was laid up do you want to tell us a little bit about that because yeah sure so i have a video video classroom <laughs> and where there's a ton of videos in there. And one of the videos I made um, was called, um, I think like gymnastic things you can do with your horse in the stall. Cause I had a horse who had a little laminitis. And so, you know, I always focus on like what you said, what can I do here? There's a lot of stuff I can't do, but what can I do? And one of the things that I did with her early on was put her on the sure foot pads. Right. So she's sensitive and she's sore in her front feet. <clears throat> well, that's, you know, give her something squishy to stand on. But then um, I would do like posture stuff with her when she's on them, or I just watch her, you know, I get the front feet, then all four feet. And so, yeah, it was, it was one of the things I did. Um, those, like I said, posture stuff, I did, you know, as she got better, I could do, you know, walk pirouettes in hand in the stall, you know, why not practice my haunches in position. That horse, um, she, when she got laminized, she was just really starting collection and she wasn't that open to it or naturally talented in it. When I first rode her after she was finally done with her rehab, she felt better than the last ride before she got laminitis. <laughs> and so it really got my attention. Like just so many, there, there's so many doorways into these skills and qualities that we want with our horse. So I, I think, what are my adjectives? What are all the adjectives I want? And you can collect them in all these funny little ways and they all added up. And, and uh, yeah, so she, I got on her. I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's like right there. And I think it was taking the time and giving her that time to process and get all that information from the pads. And, 
Well, and what you're describing is something I call skills versus drills. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so many people go out and they, like you said, they do the circles for 45 minutes. They just drill the horse in a circle. But what you, what you wind up having to do is teach all these little different skills. And we know from the way the brain works that if we do all these different skills and then we can take them and combine them into different functions, we wind up with a better function because we've got more precision in those skills. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's awesome. Absolutely. And so Joe saw that, Joe Watman saw that, and then she tracked me down because at that time there wasn't a lot out there about Surefoot. And she's been, she's now uh, my Surefoot rep in Australia. And yeah. Awesome. So I want to thank you for Joe. (laughs) This is what it's all about, you know, setting up um, horse owners and riders to just have access to like all these cool resources, you know, and that, that makes me happy. I love the collaborative thing. And then, of course, the other thing that we're just going to touch on is when we first met. And I and I just have to tell this story because Karen and I went to Equidays in um, the Netherlands. We were both presenters, and we had two hours apiece, I think it was, wasn't it? it was yeah, something, something like that. And there was about 100 people in the audience, and I got to go first. Um, but it was a clown show, and I will admit, it was, I can't imagine what it looked like because I was down there. But... What happened? I thought yours demo was mine. Oh, the beginning of it? Are you kidding? Well, there's a one horse that. Well, what happened was. The oh, guy, and then the microphone. The microphones, the sound. That was hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was hard. I forgot that. I, yeah. that that's I have tough. not that's forgotten you. PTSD from that moment because I had an 18 hand horse that this owner had only had for a couple of weeks that knew how to throw his shoulder into a person. I'm five foot four. And what happened was the mics were conflicting. And so they were creating static. And there was, I don't know, you probably didn't know about the guy in the audience with the hearing aids that was twitching. Like, <gasps> no. Oh, yeah. Everybody <laughs> having oh, it. So all the audience is busy. They can't hear a word I'm saying. Hunch is changing. I forgot about that part. Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I hope they get that fixed before my demo. <laughs> only thing I remember from that but you know and and that's that piece of um but it turned out it was the mics I'm sure that's why it was affecting the horse because the guy with the hearing aids and horses hearing is so much stronger but um that was how we met <laughs> well I guess you know I'm focusing on what you can do I'm like you're just doing your best in, in yeah. a circumstance that like had nothing to do with you so that's what I mean like you were fine yeah. you're just you're you're like I'm just gonna keep going <laughs> Well, what else are you going to do? I know, right? You know, and I think that that's the thing is that we learn through these experiences as long as they're not, um, you know, beyond the pale. That was still under under control in some chaotic way. But, um, you know, sometimes things don't go perfectly. And (laughs) (laughs) as you know, and it's amazing what we can learn from those experiences as well, because, you know, so many people are like, oh, that was such a, oh, I did such a bad job. Oh, that dressage test was awful. But really, those are all opportunities to learn. And, yeah. You know, and then have funny stories to laugh about later. Well, that's the thing. They make good stories. Um, I have a, a, one of my programs is called the Nine Habits for Excellent Horsemanship. And uh, one of the habits is a sense of humor because, you know, horsemanship in life are lessons in lightness and you can get serious results without being so serious all the time. And that one, you know, that one gets lots of opportunities to be practiced. And uh, there's a guy, uh, Benjamin Zander. I don't know if you've seen any of his stuff. He's a conductor, but he wrote a book called um, The Art of Possibility. And he's just brilliant. I think you would love uh, his stuff. Um, But he has a thing called um, Rule Number Six. 
And rule number six is don't take yourself so goddamn seriously, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's, you know, it just, yeah, you know, stuff happens and you just have to do your best and it happens to everybody. And, you know, it's just, I think it's good to know, like watching your demo, you know, you talk about intention. It was so clear that you were like, you were working so hard to like somehow serve the people who were there and the person and the horse in the arena. And, and it was really clear. It was like just external st stuff was happening <laughs> and none of it was your fault. Um, so I think when, you know, you know, for riders out there, students trying to learn, like we're all, we're all in the same mess together. And I think the more you can just take a breath and go, well, this is going to make a great story later. Um, I also have some catchphrases for students or when I ride with other professionals, um, there's a one that I ride with a lot and we have a little code. If we're doing something and it's not really working really well, we'll go, oh, well, that's the artist's rendition of, you know, <laughs> a simple change or this is the movement soon to be known as half pass, you know. <laughs> So just ways to kind of take the pressure off because our horses need us just to be calm and breathing. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when, when we start putting pressure on ourselves, they have, the, they feel the pressure, but they don't know the why, why is there pressure? What do, should I look for something? Should I be anxious? You know, because they can't understand it. They just feel it. They right. Just it. And so, um, you know, Sharon Wilsey calls it being zero, homeostasis, whatever word you want to put mm -hmm. around it. It's the ability to remain calm in a storm. And, and I think one of the lessons from this pandemic, and I don't know how it's affecting you down in Florida, but, uh, you know, one of the lessons for me from this pandemic is that, it, you know, we have to just learn how to find what we can do and not look at what we can't do. And there's so many ways. Yes, I'm sure that a lot of people are struggling. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've had my challenges as well. But there's so many opportunities that are coming through from this. And one of them is that I get to talk to all these terrific people. <laughs> yeah. It's 120 webinars now. And, it, you know, it's just great to build this uh, basically a library of knowledge for people that they can access anytime they want. Um, and so that's really, you know, that we have to look at what, is coming out of it that's you know growing from that like the phoenix coming up through the ashes and what are so many people have gotten to spend more time with their horses yes you know? yeah no there's there's always an opportunity and you know whenever like my horse with laminitis right you could easily go oh my god my horse has laminitis you know and every time something happens you just kind of take a you know take a breath and go you know like you said what's what's the good thing that's going to come of this what's there there's always something to be learned maybe good isn't the right word but there's always something to be learned that can serve you well later right. and to you know something i say it's on the bottom of every email i send and every website page on my website is never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine and that is my way i try to go through life it's often challenged but I really believe that there's always a possibility for something to be even better and you might not be able to imagine it. And that's why it's hard sometimes. But uh, my experience is that there always is something. Yeah, And that so fits with the Feldenkrais philosophy of making the impossible possible, the possible mm. is the elegant, you know, yeah. can always improve that we can achieve our potential and that, you know, to look for those openings as opposed to the closed doors.
Love it. Well, Karen, this has been such a pleasure to have a, have a chat with you and actually be able to just yeah. find more about your background. Because I, you know, I knew that you came out of the dressage world, but I had no idea about uh, some <laughs> of your accomplishments. So congratulations on that. And oh, it's really fabulous what you're doing and your positive attitude. And I, there's been a lot of comments. I don't know if you've been following the chat at all, but people have been, uh, you know, um, somebody said, mystery one. self, finally know why Karen's horse illustrations are so good. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, oh. and just uh, you know, it's really great, and people have uh, so appreciated these webinars. So, um, just remember, everybody, you can find this and all the other webinars on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. Um, there's so much information out there now, and we're turning a lot of them. And this one will get turned into a podcast as well. So, so oh, many cool. people listen to them driving their car or yeah. at the barn. So, um, when it's appropriate, some of them are kind of image driven, but when appropriate, like this one, you know, we can make it available on podcast yeah. and get it. Awesome. Up. Well, yeah, to everybody listening, putting these things on takes a little bit of organization. So, thank you, Wendy, for going, you know, putting okay. in the extra steps to bring this stuff to people. Um, it's not always so easy, but I love coming on and talking to you. It's really fun to, to follow. I'm so glad you emailed because yeah, after that demo, it's like, I, I agree. This is uh, we're kind of going like this with students. I think, I think yeah, there's I probably so. a lot of crossover that so we don't much. even know about. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And thanks everybody for tuning in. And, uh, tomorrow I'm talking about using Surefoot with nervous horses. So tune into that at one o'clock. Oh, I think I'll listen to that one. All right. All right. Take care. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you.